With the 10th pick in the 2005 NBA draft, the Los Angeles Lakers select Andrew Bynum from St. Joseph's High School in McCutcheon, New Jersey. Welcome, everybody, to the Lakers Legacy Podcast, where while everyone else is tearing up their hearts with Ariana Grande and in sync at Coachella, the Lakers, meanwhile, are stuck in Coach Hella because they ain't got one. You know what I'm talking about, Tommy? Coach Hella. And if we want to branch out and actually talk about what's going on at the very top, well, let's just say. The Notre Dame Cathedral ain't the only once proud establishment currently burning. Too soon, bro. <laughs> Too soon? Too soon, bro. <laughs> but you know what? You know, not trying to be insensitive or anything like that. But when it comes to the Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris, it seems like full resources and effort will actually be placed into rebuilding the Great Cathedral and all of its 850 years worth of history and prestige. The same, unfortunately, cannot be said for the Lakers. So, Notre Dame Cathedral. It's going to be fine. Lots of history there. Lakers, on the other hand, lots of history there as well. May still be burning. But, uh, Tommy, do you even want to talk about the Lakers front office organization? Ah, it's so frustrating. Well, that about sums it up pretty well. But hey, I've got good news for you, Tommy, because tonight we are actually not here to talk about the Lakers coaching search. Ty Lue, Monty Williams, Juwan Howard or their secret negotiations with a new shadow president of basketball operations or GM, as has been reported by Colin Cowherd and Arash Markazi. We're here tonight to offer up some good old-fashioned counter-programming, compartmentalize the Lakers world a little bit, and talk about the NBA draft. You know, I figure there's enough endless talk and speculation out there as to what could be going on behind the scenes that y'all don't need yet another Lakers podcast mindlessly conjecturing about things and and matters that one we simply are either too in the dark on with regards to concrete intel or two are frankly just sick and tired of talking about or hearing so we're hoping some people out there are just as frustrated and exhausted by this type of news cycle as we are and want to bring it back to basketball a little so we wanted to give lakers fans a bit of a reprieve from all of that stuff and wait till the dust kind of clears on that front before we give our actual concrete thoughts. So, you good with that, Tommy? Sounds good. All right, so tonight we are burying our heads in the sand, turning a blind eye to all that junk, and hoping the Lakers have compartmentalized things properly with regards to their draft scouting staff, and hoping that they're really putting their heads down during this precarious time and going to work. So tonight we're pleased to have on NBA draft analyst Ustakio Raleigh from the Red Team Scouting Group to help inform us a little better on what we can expect from this year's draft class and how we can view it and how we should view it from a purple and gold lens. But before we get to that, as usual, please follow us on Twitter 
at Lakers Legacy Pod. Please also rate and review us on iTunes because the more you rate and review us, that's how many more under-the-table discussions and negotiations that we have no idea about that the Lakers are currently having as it pertains to the restructuring of their entire organizational hierarchy and the planning of all things off-season 2019 moving forward. And wouldn't that be refreshing, Tommy, if they were actually hard at work and just not leaking anything to the media till everything's in order? Do you think that's what's going on behind the scenes? Um, I believe that it's possible that's happening. <laughs> Great. <laughs> um, <laughs> I really so moved yeah. the ball forward with that comment. Yeah, you did. But again, we're not here to talk about that tonight. But if you want to ensure in the back of your head, in the back of your mind, that things are going on behind the scenes to better the franchise moving forward, then please rate interview us on iTunes. It takes a lot of time to coordinate these interviews and get this content out to you guys. So we'd really appreciate it if you just took the time out to go to iTunes, give us a five-star rating and review, and then we're all on our way. Also, if you want to contribute to our cause financially in any small way, patreon.com slash the Lakers Legacy Podcast. Um, with that said, before I turn it over to my interview with Ustakio Raleigh, um, Tommy wasn't actually able to join us for that interview portion. So I wanted to get his quick thoughts first on this draft and which prospects intrigue him before I turn it over to our guest. So quick caveat, it's very early right now and our opinions at this point are going to come off as a bit shallow because we simply haven't delved too deeply into all of these prospects. So we just want to caveat our thoughts right now by saying that it's probably going to be pretty surface level, but we'll give updated opinions once we enter more into draft workouts and uh, draft combine territory. So, Tommy, my first question to you is, you know, the last time the Lakers had a pick in this range, they drafted Andrew Bynum in the 2005 NBA draft with the number 10th pick. Andrew Bynum, of course, as everyone knows, at the time was a very raw project and prospect. He was the last, I believe he was the last player in the NBA to be drafted out of high school at the time. But yeah. Back then, the Lakers pick, it's sort of buck convention because at the time, the Lakers had just missed the playoffs and Kobe was still very much in his prime and we had just moved on from Shaq and were right on the verge of hiring Phil. So given that context, it seemed like, oh, for sure the Lakers were going to use this number 10 pick to either trade for immediate help or draft a guy who could help Kobe Bryant immediately. But that didn't end up being the case. They drafted Bynum, who took about two or three years to really blossom into the all-star center he inevitably became. So with that said, do you think the Lakers could repeat history in that respect and go with a high upside gamble who may take two years to really break through? Or do you think the stakes are just simply much higher now with LeBron's age and the season that we just came from and how much pressure Jeannie Buss and Rob Palenka are currently feeling with all the upheaval going on up top and Magic Johnson having stepped down? I think it's really just going to come down to their big board. And I know it sounds like a uh, you know, lame answer kind of, but it, it I think they there's going to be it's a holistic approach they're going to look at a variety of factors i don't think they're going to go into it being like you know let's just take the biggest project we can find on one end of the spectrum and i don't think they're going to be going into it looking like you know who's the 25 year old we can draft that can you know start at the two for us next year 
I, it's just going to be a balance of a variety of factors. So it's just so hard to predict. I do feel like a lot of the best players in our pick range are older players, but there are still some projects, you know, I don't know that they're necessarily going to be picking um, a more established, established player just because they have LeBron James. Um, they have other young guys. Uh, you take the best player who because we're picking a 10 or 11, maybe you don't take best player available, but maybe you actually, the one thing they actually do do is look to fill a positional need. You said do do. <laughs> um, I agree to a certain extent, but I actually think that, and I'm surprised that I'm giving this answer, but I actually think that the stakes are a lot higher than, than they were back then because I know Kobe was in his prime, but he was, what, still 25? I think a lot is riding on the backs of the Lakers offseason this summer, um, whether it's with regards to Rob Palenka and Jeannie Buss or LeBron James and Clutch, just making sure that they're headed in the right direction. So even if they don't necessarily trade that pick on draft day, which we've already speculated that they can't because of their their cap plans, I think they're going to try to, to at the very least, draft a player who can help LeBron James out or help a LeBron James-led team out sooner rather than later. But like you said, Maybe those questions are kind of stripped away from us anyways because of the potential prospects who will be in that range. So I guess that's a good segue into what are your thoughts about the range that the Lakers are are currently in? Um, Obviously, it's always better to have higher picks, but for the sake of our own mental gymnastic homerism, is there any value gained to being at number 11 should the Lakers not jump into the top four, which is more than likely? But is there any value gained at being at number 11 where you're not too pressured to pick a consensus player and you may have a little more freedom to go whichever direction you want? Well, I think that's exactly right. Uh, people always point to this like 10 to 14-ish range in the draft as being this weirdly, like all-stars are over are uh, overrepresented in that range compared to what they should be. Um, and I think that you know, that kind that kind of happens because once you get out of the top, I'll call it five in most drafts, you really have a good opportunity to not be super tied into what is the, like the group think pick, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like by the time the draft comes around, there's going to be so many big boards. Everyone is going to be, you know, pushing like Zion's number one, you know, so-and-so's number two, uh Morant's number three you know whatever they're gonna everyone's gonna have their uh there's gonna be a consensus big board that kind of forms and you're gonna feel a a lot of pressure to be like well I gotta take one of these guys everybody's talking about these are the five best players or whatever but once you start getting to 10 12 13 you know like these numbers out here there's a little bit more variation in terms of you know, sometimes there's a guy who just didn't have the right opportunity in college. Um, and so, like, a lot of people have him at number 22 or something, but you're picking at number 10. It's going to be less weird if you do something like that. You know what I mean? Picking number five, it's so crazy to be like, well, I think this guy who's projected at everybody in the world's board to be number 22 is actually, you know, the fifth best player. It's it's so like when we did that with Bynum, people were like pulling their hair out, like the media was laughing their asses off because Bynum was mocked around like number twenty seven. But you get imagine if we we did that same thing, but we picked him number five, which he easily given it like his the peak of his career, 
it would have been reasonable to take him at that pick in that draft. Yeah. It would have been even crazier, you know? So it's, it's, it, you, you have a little bit more flexibility, I feel like. Um, and whether it's conscious or subconscious, I'd argue subconscious, you know, it just, you, there's less of that pressure to go with the, uh, the chalk. And given the drafting pedigree that our scouts have shown the last couple of years, I'm even more comfortable being at this spot. Although I guess there is a case to be made that we've only ever drafted from opposite ends of the spectrum the last few years. It's like we either always had a number two pick or end of the first round, right? So I guess it's interesting in that respect. But given how well we've drafted in the late first round, I'd imagine that Maybe it's the best of both worlds in that middle range. So um, so let's talk about particular prospects or even just your number one prospect that you like. Let's say things stay chalk and the Lakers stay at number 11. At this stage, who are you most intrigued by at the number 11 spot for the Lakers? Who you think will fall there and why? So the guy I'm personally most intrigued by that I think is going to still be there or could still be there at 11 is Brandon Clark. I know mm-hmm. his name is been floating around with a lot of people on Lakers Twitter, but Brandon Clark is going to be 23 years old when the NBA season starts next year. So that's why he's slipping. uh, Or that's why a lot of people have mocked kind of later in the first round, especially earlier this season. I mean, he was like barely, he was like mid second round um, if even ranked. So um, he's been rising up the boards, but he still is not necessarily going to be a for sure, number 10 or top 10 pick. Is there a scenario where he goes top 10? Yes, pending what happens in the combine and all that stuff. But it's not like by no means a sure thing because he's going to be 23 and a lot of teams who are picking in that range tend to want, you know, the home run type players, not the ready now type players. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I think we have a chance at him. He's incredibly versatile, um, especially, you know, defensively. I don't know... I, you know, maybe this is too controversial of a statement to make and just walk away from. I don't know that the front office is 100% totally sold and all in on Kyle Kuzma. Mm. Not to say that they think he sucks or anything. Just to mean, like, I think of the young core, they pro- I think they view in the sense of, like, if we're trying to make a trade to better our roster now... Kyle Kuzma can probably get you the most in return. Mm-hmm. And I just feel like they're open to that, you know? So, um, uh, but regardless of whether or not they, maybe they keep him forever and he's a lifelong Laker, which I'd be totally happy with. But even in that scenario, Brandon Clark is like a really interesting complimentary player. Um, it's weird for somebody who has such, you know, no, nobody respects his shot in all of college basketball. And despite that, he shoots such a high percentage, and it's not just dunks. I mean, a lot of it is putbacks and dunks and lobs and him making, like, you know, Zion-esque athletic plays. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's interesting when you watch his tape, when he catches the ball at the three-point line and, you know, his man is standing in the restricted area, you know, but he doesn't. A, something really weird offensively that I have never seen another big man play like this, but it seems to work for him. But he will like take dribbles to close the space. And then he's weirdly good at taking these like push shot, like floater type shot mm-hmm. from like all the way out as far as like the free throw line. Um, and he's wildly efficient taking those types of shots. I don't know how he learned how to do this or what, 
But also one interesting thing about him is uh, he transferred. I can't remember the school he was at before Gonzaga, but in his year off, because he had to take a year, sit out a year for, from the transfer, he completely overhauled his shot. His shot, mm-hmm. if you watch it now, does not look pretty. It look, it's like very mechanical and clunky. Um, but two things make me confident that he could actually like significantly improve on that moving forward. Number one is at his previous school, he shot something like 48%, like below 50% free throws revamped his shot and it went up to not a high percentage, but I think it was in the sixties, maybe Mm -hmm. at least high fifties. It was like an over 10% jump, I believe um, in one after one season of practicing. And if you look at his videos from his first college versus Gonzaga, the shot form has changed. That's one thing that encourages me is he's still kind of getting used to his new form. So there's some upside there. And then the second thing that encourages me is that, um, he has such good touch around the rim. I mentioned these floaters that he sometimes does from like the free throw, as far as the free throw line, but he has really good touch around the rim and you see it in his finishing ability and his tap-ins and his little hook shots and all that stuff. And if you were going into this with like that good a touch, I just feel like your jump shot is going to be that much softer um, once mm-hmm. he finally gets it down. So I'm super, super high on Brandon Clark. I, I think we have a decent shot of getting him. And if he's on the board and we don't take him, I, there's someone who's going to have to explain him to do. <laughs> no, I agree with you. And Eustachio will shed more light into everything that you just described about his strengths. I mean, his push shots and his floaters in the painted area are almost Kyle Kuzma-esque. He just has really soft touch and really good feel around the basket outside of just showing athleticism and burst there right so and and if you look at like last year's Cleveland Cavaliers man it would be great to have obviously it'd be great to have D'Angelo Russell and Julius Randle right now but I've also thought about how great it would be to have Larry Nance Jr. back on this team just playing with LeBron and providing that sort of energy hustle type guy who can sort of fill in the gaps whether it's on the offensive end cleaning up boards and just being a great role man or on the defensive end, just scrapping everywhere, diving for loose balls and causing havoc. And Brandon Clark is like a souped up Larry Nance Jr. with better feel and finishing ability. And we've, we've already seen the ways in which LeBron and Larry Nance have worked together in the last two months of their season when LeBron was a Cavalier last year. Even this season, Larry Nance has grown leaps and bounds, but just take Larry Nance and times 10. For Brandon Clark on top of that. So just the, the right type of hustle guy that could help this team. And you're seeing with the Clippers in the playoffs just how much hustle, grit, and that two-way ability for a player, how much that helps a team progress and move forward, uh, especially a LeBron James-led team. So so with that said, we're going to turn it over to my talk with Ustakio, and he'll give us a lot more insight into Brandon Clark and just other prospects in the number 11th range who the Lakers could look at. Should Brandon Clark be taken early, or should they just divert their attention to another prospect? And also look into the top four as well, If the Lakers, should the Lakers, by some stroke of luck, jump into that range. So you'll hear my interview with Ustakio next, but for now we will turn it over to our sponsors first and then uh, we'll catch you guys after the turn. All right, tonight we are pleased to kick off our 2019 NBA draft scouting season on the Lakers Legacy Podcast with a very early look at some of the prospects who could be available in the Lakers range in the lottery this year. 
And to help us do that tonight, we are pleased to have on NBA draft scout and analyst Ustakio Raleigh from the Red Team Scouting Draft Group. Ustakio, how's it going tonight? And are there any tips that you've given people throughout the years to help them pronounce your name more correctly? I mean, as long as it's close, it doesn't bother me. I don't worry about names too much. So it's Ustakio, sort of like if you per- combine those four uh, sounds, Ustakio. Well, that's a huge help. And you sound like one of those YouTube videos when you're like, how do I pronounce this word? You sound like one of the default robot voices that they have up there. It sounds very professional is what I'm trying to say. Not to say that you sound like a robot, but uh, at at Starbucks, what's the weirdest name that you've ever gotten when they write your name? Oh, I, I, in stuff like that, I go by my middle name, which is Alex. It's just easier, but I mean, like, (laughs) yeah, it's like, it's been pronounced all sorts of ways over the years. It's it's rarely close on people's first attempt, but I'm used <laughs> to it. It doesn't bother me at all. So, Well, you know, your name being a tricky one to pronounce is a fitting segue into what we'll be discussing tonight because there are always a handful of new prospects whose names will inevitably be butchered in one way or another come time for their names to be announced at the next level. So uh, before we get started, Usakio, if you want to give us a quick elevator pitch on yourself, your background, and also the Red Team Scouting group that you guys started, I think just this past year, please go ahead and do so. And also, fittingly enough, we just discussed this uh, off air, but you also happen to be a pretty ardent Cavaliers fan, so you'll probably have an easier time tonight connecting your analysis back to a more LeBron-centric framing of things. But yeah, if you want to go ahead and give your elevator pitch, uh, go ahead and do so. Uh, sure. Yeah, I've been following the NBA for a long time, uh, since the mid-90s. and um, So I've watched a lot of basketball, and I've been following the NBA draft pretty closely over the last decade or so. Um, as far as uh, Red Team Scouting and what we're doing this year, um, Alex West and I worked together on a draft guide with a couple other guys last year uh, with the 94 feet report. And then this year we uh, talked about creating a more structured system for scouting NBA players. And so we came up with this 30 point system where we grade players in these categories and um, trying to come up with a more scientific approach to scouting these players and doing so objectively. So uh, check out our work at redteamscouting.com. We have about 20 really in-depth profiles there. Um, And it's a work in progress, the site we launched in February, and we're gradually adding more things. But um, I I think what we've put out there is uh, pretty good work to this point, and we'll keep working to improve our product. Awesome. And if people want to find you guys on Twitter, what what handle can they search for? At Red Team Scouting. And for yourself? At EVR1022. Awesome. Well, you know, I really appreciate your guys' in-depth analysis into different prospects, most especially because it's very applicable to the NBA. And I like how you guys go deeper into the context of how these prospects actually fit into different sorts of teams and fit alongside the best with different sorts of players. So I appreciate the added context and perspective there and hoping to get more of that type of info tonight. So obviously with uh, the national championship having just ended and, and us viewing that that big DeAndre Hunter-Jarrett Culver matchup pretty closely, more closely than we thought we'd have to, us as Lakers fans obviously didn't think we'd be here this season, so we've had to undergo a relatively quick shift in mindset over the last couple of weeks. And to be honest with you, I'm not sure some Lakers fans have even gotten to that place yet. It's been so much of an abrupt 
sort of shell shock to us. So with that being said, we know this is a really early look into the draft. And at this point, obviously the final list of players to declare for the draft, that hasn't come out yet. And the draft combine results and specific team workouts and whatnot will definitely shift some things. So I guess for Lakers fans listening to this episode, we just want to caveat things by saying that this is this episode will be more of a palette teaser and primer, an introduction into this year's draft than anything else. So we're glad to have Ustakio on to help guide us through that. So for our draft episodes, Ustakio, I typically like to start overarching in general before we dive into the specific prospects. So I guess for you, and this may be super vague, but how would you describe this year's draft in general? Is it as weak as everyone says it is? Is it top-heavy? If you could compare it to any previous drafts in terms of talent crop available in the first round, could you pinpoint a similar draft? But I guess the first question in totality would be, how would you describe this draft in general with regards to the the quote-unquote weakness that it's been perceived to have? Yeah, so I've heard that a lot this year, that this has been called a weak draft class. And I agree in a certain respect that it's weak in regard to primary creators, scores, but I think overall um, it's going to be a fairly normal draft. There'll be about 25 rotation players out of the draft, and I think it's pretty strong on things like defense and passing. So the things that I value in NBA players, I think this draft is pretty good on, but if you're focused on scoring in those number one options, then I can understand how you would view it as weak. Now, when it comes to Zion, in terms of being a top-level franchise, potentially franchise-changing player, how would you compare him to to previous sorts of number one picks? This probably will sound like a hot take, but I've put a lot of research into Zion. And honestly, if you put the last 30 years of prospects into one draft, I would take LeBron number one, I would take Shaq number two, and I probably would choose Zion number three. Wow, because he's a combination of both, right? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, so I guess for a team like the Lakers in the mid to late lottery, and at this point, for the purposes of this episode, the Lakers are at number 11. So given their position, how would you say that tier looks for a team like the Lakers? In this year's draft, is there a lot of variance at that position, or is this potentially a good spot for them in terms of Is there a wide crop of, at the very least, high floor type players who will be able to contribute readily, which is presumably what a LeBron James-led team would need and want? So I think it's interesting. The the 11 to 15 range is historically one of the worst spots in the draft to be. Um, It's not meaningfully better than like 20 or 25, but you have to pay more money to the players at those spots. Um, But... That's historically. This year, I actually like that range quite a bit. Um, Mm -hmm. I think there's several solid options for the Lakers in that scope, Um, players that can help them pretty quickly and uh, still have good upside as well. And But, I mean, there's still going to be some landmines in that area too. I mean, there could be probably three or four guys that are projected in that area that I think could end up a wasted draft pick. So. it could go either way, but I think the opportunity is there for it to be sure. a good spot, at least. It's just about using the pick right. And before we go any further, can I just ask you what your top five big board looks like? Uh, yeah. So 
Um, Zion is number one, obviously. At number two, I have Darius Garland. At number mm. three, I have Grant Williams. At number four, um, I believe I have Jarrett Culver there right now. And the number five is Brandon Clark. Um, gotcha. Those aren't necessarily a traditional top five. I value certain traits more than most, but um, I have John Morant in that same tier, um, DeAndre Hunter, a little lower on RJ Barrett than most, but mm-hmm. um, yeah. Cool. Um, extrapolating on that a little further, what are the certain criteria that you value the most or that draw your eye or attention? Well, I like well-rounded players. I like players that are smart and know how to play the game. Uh, I want players to make an impact on defense, to uh, be good passers, be able to play through them rather than just playing to them and having them be an end point. Um, And I still value primary creation skills, scoring, three-point shooting, things that most people value, but I try to balance it with those other peripheral skills and look at the complete picture. So I want a player that's going to impact the game in many ways, not just in a couple. When it comes to general player mode and prospect regarding the types of young players you've seen thrive around LeBron James in the past, whether it be the Booby Gibsons or Mario Chalmers of the world, is there a particular player mold that you feel best fits with LeBron James? Or is it as simple as find him the most ready three and D type player or garbage man type and he'll be able to turn that player into a useful contributor. Well, the 3 and D type obviously works with him. He's made uh, many players uh, look successful alongside him that are in that very simple role. But as far as uh, outside of that box, um, I think the star that has been the most successful next to him is Kyrie Irving, uh, mm-hmm. a guard that is a very good shooter and also has that those self-creation skills that he can attack the off-balance defense that LeBron creates. So uh, that Kyrie type as a guard, I think, is just about ideal, um, at least on offense. And um, the other thing, in the second half of the 2015 season, after the Cavs traded for Timofey Mozgov, that was the one time that LeBron really played with a high-quality rim runner. And it was really good. Um, Mozgov was never healthy again after that season. But for that half season, they were um, basically putting up a net rating on par with what the Warriors were doing. And so um, that vertical um, spacing that Mozgov provided was very effective. Of course, the Cavs had a lot of spacing, uh, three-point shooting around him. So I don't know if that would be as successful in a lower spacing environment like the Lakers, but it's an interesting thing to keep in mind anyway. Yeah, shout out to former Laker Timothy Mozgov. Um, before we dive into individual prospects, I guess given the Lakers' tricky context this year, especially in light of all the Magic Johnson news um, and them trying to toe the line while they wait to see how free agency shakes out and trying to take advantage of presumably their last lottery draft pick and hopefully the next few years, They're going to be picking at the number 11th pick unless they jump into the top four. Keeping in mind that they may likely ship that pick off before the season starts or even before the trade deadline next season ends, is there any prospect you can think of in the number 10 range who can sort of toe that line and fulfill the criteria of someone who can help the Lakers now should they choose to keep the pick or they don't find any takers, while also being someone who is more quote-unquote universally coveted by the majority of the teams in the league who can still be easily shipped out later in a future deal if need be? I think the guy that best fits that um, description 
is Kobe White. And now he's mm. barely in that range. Um, he was projected at 11 in both ESPN and the athletic mock drafts um, on their most recent uh, release, I think mid-March. Um, so he may or may not be there, but his um, shooting and playmaking would be a really dynamic fit alongside LeBron James, but it's also skills that are useful on just about any team in the league. So he would hold that trade value and allow you to go a couple different directions if you drafted him. Great. Now, Kobe White, can you give us a little more info into his sort of game and what player mold he kind of fits? Is Does he fall in line with that sort of Kyrie Irving type player? I know he's a really, well, his percentages don't bear that out, but I know he's a a, a proficient three-point shooter and he can shoot from from range a dynamic scorer pretty fluid on the court but yeah from your end what what do you see in his game and if you could paint a picture for fans who don't know Kobe White's game from the University of North Carolina could you give us a little more info on on him so I think he can shoot uh close to the level of what Kyrie has but the big difference between the two is going to be in the ball handling department. Kobe mm. White does not have that refined ball sure. handling. And as a result, his pull-up game and um, just his ability to get to his spots on the court is a lot more limited at this point in his career. Now, that could change over time, but he has a really explosive downhill burst. He looked great the few times North Carolina ran a high pick and roll and just allowed him to get downhill. And in mm. transition, he is incredibly fast. but. A lot of the times he settled for perimeter shots, like a 55 to 60% of the shots were from beyond the three-point line because he struggled getting to his spots with his ball handling, his lack of strength. Mm-hmm. Um, but he he definitely has some very dynamic potential. Got it. Cool. Um, so let's talk about the top four. Should the Lakers, by some stroke of luck, jump into the top four? Outside of Zion Williamson, who do you think would be the best fit for the Lakers should they nab the number two, three, or four spot? I know you kind of gave away your big board, but does that change when thinking about the Lakers? Yeah, so I think the best realistic target for the Lakers there would be Jarrett Culver. Mm -hmm. Um, He is a very versatile wing, and he um, the shooting is the biggest question mark there, but he's a great passer. His attacking skills are top-notch, excellent finisher around the rim. He plays good defense. Texas Tech had the best defense in the nation by far, and he was a key part in that. Switchable defender. And so I think that versatility paired with LeBron makes a lot of sense. And Culver's shooting, it, it wasn't great, but it wasn't terrible either. Um, he was the primary creator for that offense. If he was playing off of LeBron, I think there's a real hope that he could be at least an average shooter. Sure. Um, so sort of a Swiss army knife that makes a lot of sense uh, and is definitely projected in that range right now, like six or seven is uh, where he is in mock drafts. And I think that'll go up to like four or five um, by the time we get to the draft. The other guy I would consider is in that Kyrie Irving mold, mold that we talked about earlier, Darius Garland, really mm-hmm. incredible ball handler, uh, capable of shooting off the catch, off the pull-up, off movement. And um, I think he would be a perfect offensive fit next to LeBron. Defense, uh, he's giving up some points there, but um, really dynamic player. And I think that would be the best offensive fit in the draft class outside Zion for the Lakers. 
Yeah, I'd like to land there a little bit. You know, Darius Garland, he's 6'2", uh, played for Vanderbilt. Very small sample size in college this year because I, I forget what injury he suffered, but he only played five games, right? Yeah, four, effectively. He only played mm-hmm. like four minutes in the fifth game. But it, it was a small sample size. But I will say regarding the shooting, the high school numbers back that up. He mm-hmm. shot 87 out of 100 on free throws in his high school career, which is a really top-notch number. Right. High school kids rarely shoot like that. And so I, there's enough there that I feel confident that the shooting is real. Um, but it is a risk taking somebody who's had an injury and um, it's a small sample, but there's just such uniqueness to his game. His um, What separates him from the other point guards in this class is his ability to decelerate, stop on a dime for those pull-up shots. Yeah. Um, John Rant doesn't have that. So even if he develops his three-point shot, he's not going to be pulling up from 30 feet on a dime like Harden or Curry can do. Um Garland is much better in that respect, able to just stop on a dime and drain the three. Yeah, no, I mean, when I was watching him, what surprised me the most was just the the fluidity and poise he always had when dribbling the ball and operating in the pick and roll, whether it be to pass out to his teammates or actually just score for himself, especially in the mid-range. I think that's where that deceleration, acceleration comes into play. For me, the first guy I thought of, obviously, comps are never perfect. It's never apples to apples. But I definitely saw some shades of Damian Lillard, especially because of their size, only 6'2". But in spite of that, still pretty crafty around the rim. But most of all, just him being able to operate in the mid-range and pick and roll, as well as hit the three at a proficient rate, I think is what jumped out the most to me. I don't know if you have any other guys that you probably compare his game to. But Damian Lillard is the one that was like, oh, that guy is smooth. Yeah, I, I think there are definitely some similarities there, and I could see a sim- a very similar offensive role for him. Um, so him, Kyrie, the other two that came to mind that I think could be possible depending on who he plays with, and this would come into play next to LeBron, is uh, Kyle Lowry and Michael Conley, uh, mm. guys that operate both on and off the ball extensively. And I think he could be weaponized off the ball very effectively if he had somebody else to create for him. That wasn't sure. the case at Vanderbilt. They weren't 0-18 in uh, conference play after losing him. They just had nobody else. But um, if he was playing off of LeBron, I think he'd be a dynamic threat away from the ball as well. Yeah, kind of the way that CJ McCollum plays as well. Um, So with regards to Jarrett Culver, obviously we just saw him kind of struggle in the championship game uh, being hounded by DeAndre Hunter. And I guess this can go into into a larger conversation between the two. But where do you attribute most of his struggles uh, in the tournament this year to? Is it is it basically just having to be matched up against like a a stout defensive beast like DeAndre Hunter? And I, I guess your main point about him in the next level at the NBA, especially next to a guy like LeBron James and even some of the other wings that the Lakers have or creators, him excelling in a secondary playmaking role. I think that's probably the biggest maybe boost for him at that range to, to sort of quell some Lakers fans concerns who only just saw him play in that national championship game. So I guess, yeah, what would you attribute his struggles to the most? And what do you think he'll have to overcome at the next level outside of just his sort of wonky shot that would benefit the Lakers? Yeah. So he did struggle in the tournament. Um, but 
he was the primary creator for Texas Tech this year. He led them in assists, and there wasn't really anybody to set him up. So when it came to tournament time, he was number one, number two, and number three on opposing game plans. All defenses were keyed on stopping him. And because his jump shot wasn't falling in the tournament, he didn't really have that change of pace to uh, fight back against that defensive focus. But playing as a secondary option and um, playing in a an environment with more space, uh, college defenses are very compact and just guard the paint like no tomorrow, but they'll give up the three. So, I mean, it's just a very different environment. His skill set projects very well for the next level. He's very fluid. He has good burst, um, strong ball handling skills for a wing, really nice passing. His passing is underrated. Mm -hmm. He's got great vision and ability to throw many different types of passes. The game's going to open up for him. And mm -hmm. just being able to not be the only guy the defense is focusing on, um, it's going to make a world of difference for him. Um, the shot that's the big question mark, and that will determine what his ceiling eventually is. I think it's workable, but it's, I mean, it's definitely not a guarantee to become uh, a weapon at, in the NBA, but it was much better in his freshman year when he had um, a real point guard to play off of. Mm. So Keenan Evans, a senior in his freshman year, was setting him up and Culver shot 38% that year. So, um, and if you look at his synergy splits, his unguarded shots versus his guarded shots or his pull-ups, there's a big difference there as well. So with an easier shot profile, it will be better at the very least. It, whether it's actually good, that remains to be seen. Yeah. So when it comes to the other end of the court, how would you describe Jarrett Culver as a defensive prospect at the next level? He's a very good on-ball defender. He can uh, mirror players very well. He has the agility to stay with them through multiple moves. And he's aggressive as a help defender. Um, the whole Texas Tech system is very aggressive. So that's been ingrained in, in him over his two years there. Um, so he's going to be active on the weak side. Um, I think he will be a solid defender. I don't think he's going to be like a stopper level guy on that end but i think a solid like uh, plus one type player on that end is within range or just at the very least neutral so i i think he will be effective um he needs to add some strength to yeah. combat nba wings but that's something that happens naturally in time so i'm not concerned about it there will be some struggles as a rookie as he's still filling out but within time he'll be good Sure. Yeah, I think the, the things that jumped out to me the most was one, his size, and then his fluidity, handling the ball at times, especially in pick and roll situations at that size. Are there any players that you see shades of in his game? For me, and obviously I haven't delved too deeply into him, but the few amounts of tape that I've watched saw some Karis Lavertish type play. Kind of reminded me of Jason Tatum at some portions just because of the fluidity with which he kind of got his shots and found his scoring positions. He seems to find those at ease. He can get to his shots easily. It's it's a matter of whether or not he's able to actually knock down his jump shots. But uh, yeah, any shades of any sort of players that you see in his game? I'm honestly not that good at the player com thing. I try to mm -hmm. view every guy individually, but... Um... Yeah, there's no name that jumps out to me as a mirror image of what he brings to the table, really. But Th that's fair. Um, 
Cool. So I guess in comparison to DeAndre Hunter, which is another prospect that Lakers fans have sort of gravitated towards just because of his 3 and D potential, would you, I, I guess you gave away your big board, so you would say that you take Jarrett Culver over DeAndre Jordan at this point? Or DeAndre Hunter, sorry. Um, I have them in the same tier, so it, it would be situational. Um, for the Lakers in particular, um, either one would be a good choice. Hunter is the more likely one to shoot effectively from outside, which may make him the the safer choice next to LeBron. But he doesn't quite have the dynamic on-ball upside that cover ha- Culver has. But, I mean, he's going to fill that 3 and D role. He can flex between the two forward positions. Hunter is one of my favorite uh, players in the Mm. draft because he's just so fundamentally sound. Like, his footwork on the perimeter is perfect on the the defensive end. He he was the best wing defender in the country this year, really. So... I love his game. I think he will immediately translate to the next level as being a solid player, but you just have to realize you're getting a third or fourth option on offense and a solid defender on the other end. Right. The thing that stands out the most for when you first see DeAndre Hunter, obviously, is his size and how sturdily built he is. He's 6'8", 7'2", wingspan, looks like a small forward about to morph into a power forward. I, I think he's pretty much going to play the four do you think in the nba or is he just going to be switch off between that three and four spot i think he can play either i think the most value will probably come at the four because he Mm -hmm. he's a great jump shooter so he can draw one of the secondary rim protectors out to the perimeter keep that lane open for uh, lebron or for whatever creator he ends up alongside um so i think it makes a lot of sense to play him at the four and then like also his ability to step out on a pick and roll and switch the action or hedge against it, uh, play aggressively against those pick and roll actions will provide his teams a unique weapon at the power forward position. Right. And to me, he has a very methodical, he's never too flashy with anything, but he is very fundamental and has a very methodical game to him. Would you say that Obviously, I guess because he is going to be a 3 and D type player, I know a lot of people have thrown out the, and I don't want to go into comparisons again, but you know the high-end spectrum of things is, oh, this guy looks like Kawhi Leonard. But I guess for you, would you look at him more as a Jay Crowder, Damari Carroll type guy or, or someone who can fill that sort of role? Yeah, probably closer to like Carroll. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I think he can do some more unique things than Carroll brought to the table, but we're not looking at a guy that's going to morph into a number one option on offense like Kawhi. And even defensively, he's Hunter is like technically perfect, but he's not aggressive. He's not creating a lot of steals and blocks, but he's blowing up plays in his own way. He's forcing uh, players into very poor positions where they have to make bad decisions, take poor shots. Um, so he's he's a different defender than that. Mm-hmm. And um, so I, I don't think there's that Kawhi Leonard type upside, <laughs> but he's um, definitely going to be a useful player to his team at the next level. And he has enough of an offensive game to um, provide some diversity on that. And he's going to be primarily a floor spacer, but he can definitely attack a closeout and drive hard to the rim. He can go into the mid post a little bit and uh, work against a mismatch there. Um, He can pass a little bit out of the pick and roll if he has to, like he can run a secondary pick and roll um, late in a possession, like 
he was the bailout guy for Virginia this year. Mm -hmm. If they had a late clock possession, they gave it to Hunter and he was expected to create something. That's not his best role, but he can do it. And so Mm -hmm. that provides him something more than the usual three and D prospect. So with regards to the three prospects that we just talked about, Jarrett Culver, Darius Garland, and DeAndre Hunter, who out of those three do you think could potentially maybe slip to the Lakers range? Do you think Jarrett Culver's weak final two games in the tournament bump him down a little, or or is it too early to tell? It's hard to say, but I, I would guess if one of them fell, it would probably be Garland. Mm-hmm. Um, John Morant's going to be the first point guard off the board. Um, he's either going to go number two or number three. And then it's either going to be Garland or Kobe White for the next spot. And depending on the team, they could go either way. So if a team favors Kobe White, maybe because he's healthy and because of the uh, sort of dynamic burst he has, then Garland could slip to the 10-11 spot. It's plausible. I don't think it's likely. I would say eight or nine should be his floor, but... You never know. Things happen in the draft. So, mm-hmm. um, On the other end, I would actually say that despite the final game performance, Hunter is more likely to fall there than Jarrett Culver. Okay, um, Culver just has the more um, well-rounded game. Uh, like he can That on-ball creation, teams tend to fall in love with, and he has it. Hunter doesn't. And I think that will bump him up during the pre-draft process. Hunter should go before the Lakers pick, but there's enough depth at the position between, I mean, RJ Barrett's going to go. Culver is going to go. Cam Reddish could go ahead of Hunter. I don't think he should, but he could. Mm -hmm. Um, Even like Dumboya or Romeo Langford, there's a lot of wings and forwards in this class. So it just depends on what the specific teams like that. It's more likely for a guy like Hunter to fall than like say Jackson Hayes, where there's no diversity at the position. He's the, he's the number one guy at the position. Got it. Cool. So should things remain shock and the Lakers stay at the number 11 spot before I go into any other prospects for yourself, who do you think would fit best on this Lakers roster and around LeBron in general, who would fall in that general vicinity? I think Brandon Clark is the guy mm-hmm. that really makes a lot of sense and is very likely to be there at the pick. Um, like Kobe White, he, it could it's 50-50 if he'll be there. But Brandon Clark, I would be surprised if he was off the board before 11, and he, he could be a great fit next to LeBron. Um, he's probably going to be a power forward as a starter or as his primary position, which allows LeBron to be at the three and play it take it easy on defense over the course of the regular season. But Clark also has the ability to shift up to the five and LeBron to the four in the postseason for those smaller dynamic lineups, which could really be a weapon in the postseason. Um, Clark's shot blocking is incredible. His instincts as a um, weak side uh, rotator, just amazing. And his athleticism Mm -hmm. is just off the charts. He, Um, If not for Zion being so dynamic at the rim, we would be talking a lot more about Brandon Clark's incredible finishing this year. Mm -hmm. And I get that he's an older prospect, but you don't see many older prospects with this type of athleticism. So I think it makes him unique in a way. He, I think he definitely still has upside, even though um, he'll be over 22 years old on draft night. So I love his fit with the Lakers. Um, He provides 
that presence they need to bridge the gap between the four and the five. Is there any particular player that LeBron James may have played with in the past that sort of approximates what Brandon Clark brings to the table that you can think of? Would it be Tristan Thompson maybe the closest at this point? But but he's obviously a way better finisher and more versatile um, in the paint. I don't think LeBron has ever played with a finisher as good as Clark. Mm, okay. Um, on defense, I would say almost like if a bigger Shane Battier. I think that's the type of effect he'll have on lineup construction around him, that sort of connecting piece that gives you flexibility as to what you put around him. Uh, um, I think he can shift seamlessly between the power forward position and playing as a small five. I mean, you aren't going to match him up with Joel Embiid, but against many players, he can get away with playing there. Right. Just his defensive instincts are incredible. He's going to be an impact player on that end for sure. The question is just how he develops as an offensive player. And I Mm -hmm. think the foundation is there for him to be a solid shooter. Um, There's just a couple small mechanical issues, but he ends up short on a lot of his shots and it's because of his base. But if he works with a shooting coach, I think that can be fixed pretty easily and he has a great natural touch. So I could definitely see him working out of the dunker spot and popping out to the corner for threes or cutting to the rim for dunks. Right. I think the the popular ceiling comp for Brandon Clark right now is Sean Marion. I don't know if he'll ever reach that level of offensive potency, especially on the perimeter. But I guess another maybe more apt ceiling comp for him what do you think about him having a Kenyon Martin-ish sort of impact? Because Kenyon Martin coming out of college, he was known for his defense as well, his motor, his athleticism, his finishing ability. I guess at his baseline and maybe his floor, could he approximate a sort of Montrezl Harrell type role for a LeBron James-led team? Yeah, I think those are definitely within his range of outcomes. He definitely needs to add some strength uh, to... Mimic those roles exactly. He's only listed at 215 pounds. He might be a little heavier than that, but still, he's going to be a little bit lighter than the average uh, NBA big man. But just the explosiveness he brings to the table, I think, will counteract that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I could definitely see him filling one of those roles. Great. Okay, so moving forward into this range, there are a couple of other prospects that I wanted to touch upon who may be in this spot for the Lakers. You don't think that Jackson Hayes right now is going to slip to that spot, right? I don't think it's likely. The two mock drafts that are most recent both had him at nine, and I I kind of feel like that's his floor. He's the number one center in the class, so Mm. I think the first team that needs that is probably going to pull the trigger. If there were... Other options at the position, I could see him falling, but yeah, I I don't think he'll be there. And just really quickly, in terms of who Jackson Hayes is, could you just give our audience maybe like a one to two sentence blurb on type of player he is? And you've been mentioning how effective LeBron is able to make finisher types who are athletic. And does does he fit that sort of role? He does. He he's um, athletic both as a vertical spacer and pretty good movement for a big man. Um, he finished at an outrageous rate around the rim this year, but it was pretty low usage. Um, good shot blocker, solid defensive instincts, although he, I mean, he's young on that end and you can tell he's inexperienced. Um, he's more of a 
highlight shot blocker than a real rim deterrent at this point. But Got definitely it. an intriguing prospect. He would fit if he was there, but it's unlikely. Right. Uh, so let's move on to maybe the number two center prospect in Bulbul, who, just like Darius Garland, also was injury plagued this season, had his season cut short, only played nine games. But in those nine games, he averaged 21 points, 9.6 rebounds, shot 56% from the field, 75% from the free throw line, 2.7 blocks a game. Um, how big of a risk is he in terms of being a, a medical red flag? And, you know, the Lakers are, have dealt with injuries um, on their team for the last two, three years. And, and Brandon Ingram every year has been out for like a third of the season. And with the DVT injury, there's a lot to take into account with regards to whether the Lakers would even take this sort of risk. But for you, is Bull Bull maybe a risk worth taking? Yeah, I mean, he's definitely a risk. I'm not going to shy away from that at all. He could spend most of his career off the court because of injuries. His frame is just very thin. But at the same time, like, his father played uh, seven seasons in a row. He played more than 70 games and he had an even thinner, even longer frame. So he might have more durability than we're giving him credit for. And he definitely has a lot of upside. I mean, the combination of wingspan reach and shooting ability is just so unique. Um, His dimensions are as far as length are, not that far off from a Gobert, and yet he's probably the best or the second best shooting prospect in this class. Um, Really fantastic outside shooter, and he will be effective as a floor spacer. There's no doubt in my mind about that. I'm not sure how much he could venture into the interior because of his lack of strength, but um, definitely will be effective as a floor spacer, and attacking the occasional closeout he has a pretty functional handle for how big he is and on the other end of the court um, he is a dynamic shot blocker his uh, defensive iq is kind of all over the place he's very scattered on the defensive end but he's so tall and long that oftentimes it just doesn't even matter (laughs) Um, and yeah so and just like just having a guy that size in the middle of the defense it just has the psychological effect of having players want to take more shots from the perimeter because they don't want to risk getting their shot blocked by that guy. Um, even though his technique isn't that great and attacking him might be the right decision, it's just hard to do it because he's huge. And and you'd obviously say that he's more of, a, in spite of everything that you just mentioned with regards to his upside, would you agree that he's more of a raw prospect and it, that it might take him, especially with his slight frame and build, maybe two to three years to really develop into his own body and game? Yeah, I think he's a project. I mean, he's going to shoot from day one and like he'll block shots, but he's not probably going to make a positive impact on defense for quite some time. And as far as offensive diversity, I think it'll be, it'll take time for him to adjust to the speed of the NBA game. Um, but he'll shoot from day one, the rest of it'll take some time. Yeah. And uh, you know, for me, I'd want to say that the Lakers would stay on the side of caution, but it's important to note that the last time they had a number 10 pick, it was to draft Andrew Bynum, who also was a raw project and took about two to three years to really develop into who he inevitably 
ended up becoming, which is an all-star caliber center. We don't know if that's going to happen to Bobo, but just in terms of the Lakers' mindset, I know a lot of people are probably like, they're going to stay away from a risk like this, someone who's raw, someone who's medically red flagged, but we never know because the last time they had the number 10 pick, they went for a project during a time when Kobe was in his prime and there was also some pressure to quote-unquote win now. Um, Keeping in line with the medically red flagged players, Unfortunate news and situation with John St. Porter. I think he tore his ACL again. Is that right? Yeah, the same ACL. He tore it again um, during his recovery. I think he was resuming basketball activities before his doctor told him he should. And uh, yeah, he injured it again. And so honestly, I think it would be way too early to take him at the number 10 or 11 pick. If you were to trade down, then he would become uh, in the picture. But, I mean, you're losing most of his rookie season to the injury. And so he's not going to be the type of immediate impact player that some of the other guys could potentially be. Yeah, and it's unfortunate because he was a popular Lakers pick last year, but then he ended up going back to school. But just his sort of game was so unique and versatile, being this sort of Boris Diaw, Nikola Jokic type big on the perimeter. Let's say all things considered, he's healthy. How would you describe his game? You know, he's one of the smartest prospects I've ever watched play. Um, His freshman year, he was only going to be 18.6 years old on draft day, and yet he was the smartest player on the court every time Mm. he went out there. Um, Just like... He's not the most technically sound screener, but he's so willing to screen. He's looking for opportunities to screen on every play and then use his gravity to warp the defense or use his passing to find the soft spots. Um, Physically, he needed to do some work to be ready to be on an NBA court. Um, Just his quickness wasn't there. But he makes up for a lot of that with his ability to read the court and anticipate. And so he's um, reacting before everybody else. And it covers up for his lack of athletic tools in a lot of situations. Um, Really unique player. I really hope he can get healthy and um, have an NBA career. Um, But it's tough with two straight ACLs and um, his whole family has a history of knee injuries like that. So it's it's tough. Yeah, definitely. Um, moving on to, let's talk about some some other potential risks, but high upside risks, just like a guy like Bol Bol. But what are your thoughts on Kevin Porter Jr. from USC? Obviously, his season was mired with some attitude immaturity issues and and him being suspended, including an injury here and there. He didn't play the full season, obviously, but also his role at USC was kind of weird and diminished in a way, didn't really get the ball in his hands as the primary creator a lot, was often relegated to standing in the corner. But with that, in spite of that, still flashed a ton of upside in transition, especially just his body is NBA ready from day one, very sturdily built as well. Flash is a really nice step back jump shot that's almost Harden-esque. Kind of an erratic player, but... I've also heard that on the defensive end, he shows a lot of potential as a as a really solid uh, man-to-man defender. But yeah, what are your thoughts on Kevin Porter Jr.? And let's say the Lakers vet him properly, and he's vetted properly by all the teams at the NBA Draft Combine, and he tests out positively with regards to his attitude moving forward. What are your thoughts on his potential as a 
yeah, as a primary scorer, but also as a pretty solid defender as well, and just an overall well-rounded wing. There's a lot to like with Kevin Porter Jr. He's a great athlete. Um, he has good shooting skills, and uh, the, like you said, the step back is an NBA-level move right now. Um, incredibly quick in transition, and he has a penchant for making impact plays on defense. Um, when he's engaged, he's incredibly good, but he his motor is inconsistent is the thing, mm-hmm. and so he's very erratic. Um, I remember the first game he back, came back from injury. Um, he The first minute he checked in was one of the most dynamic minutes of college basketball I watched this year. But mm-hmm. then the rest of the game, he just disappeared. And mm-hmm. so it, there's a lot of that with him. And the skill base is really good. The basketball IQ and the motor are what I question. Mm-hmm. And so I think he... I mean, he's definitely has high upside, but he also has the potential to be a very frustrating player to watch, um, probably f- for the duration of his rookie contract, uh, sure. because he really needs to learn the game and to learn to be consistent night in and night out. Yeah, would you almost, and this is not a comparison on type of play or skill, but kind of the the way that Michael Beasley came into the league where you could he was an undeniable scorer and his talent was undeniable but you weren't you weren't sure if his if his head was in the game necessarily or he had the high IQ to be an impact player would that sort of be maybe um Kevin Porter Jr's downfall Yeah I, I think there are some similarities in as far as mentality Beasley was probably a more talented prospect sure. but right. um as far as mentality, yeah, I, I think there are similarities there, and just just his decision making. Like he mm-hmm. has all the athletic tools in the world, but he settles for jump shot time. He needs to learn to get downhill and get to the rim, and so making the most of what he has is going to be a long process to teach him. But he he has some of the highest upside in the class. Sure. So while some people may say this is the next James Harden or Donovan Mitchell, you'd say, well, he also has a tendency to become the next Nick Young or Marcus Thornton, something like that, right? Absolutely. Would you say that LeBron James could be the type of guy to mentor a player like oh, KPJ? I think get so frustrated with him. I think it'd be <laughs> like with Deion Waiters where he was just done with him after a certain okay, point. That's, that's fair. <laughs> <laughs> um, last prospect I want to talk to you about is PJ Washington. Um, out of Kentucky, kind of a floor spacing four. When I first saw him, he moved and scored kind of like a Paul Millsap, but maybe not with the same playmaking acumen as a Paul Millsap. But what are your thoughts of, of PJ Washington? And do you think he'd be a potentially good pick if uh, he was there at the 11th spot and the Lakers took him? I don't think he'd be a bad pick there. Um, I mean, he's he's got a pretty dynamic scoring game, and I actually like his passing quite a bit. Okay. Um the shooting, it's it was good this year, but I don't know that the peripherals add up to him projecting as like a high level shooter. I think he'll be sort of up and down, like maybe one year thirty four percent, the next year thirty seven, and that type of. Sometimes he's adding value, sometimes he's not as a shooter, um, but you know I'm not sure that he really adds any extra dimension to the current Laker roster. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, Kuzma is a better scorer than Washington is. Uh, Washington 
maybe could become a little bit better defender, but he's not going to be an impact defender uh, in my mind. And the passing is nice, but it's just like it'll be a secondary skill. Um, actually, the power forward that I think might be a better fit is Grant Williams. Okay. Um, I think the team defense Grant Williams brings is something that we don't see with PJ Washington. And Grant Williams is outside of Ja Morant and maybe John Tay Porter, probably the best passer in this draft class. He just makes some incredible reads off the court, extremely high IQ. And his stock is mid twenties right now, but I think it's going to rise during the pre-draft process because he just does so much well on the court. Um, And I think his jump shot is actually quite a bit more projectable than PGA Washington. So I I could see him fitting into um, a spacing and facilitating role on offense and being a good team defender on defense with a pretty, I think he could make an impact year one. I don't think you need a lot of development to make him useful at the NBA level, but he still has uh, quite a bit of upside. Cool. Great. So with regards to, I I don't know if you've already mentioned some of these players, but is there any player that you'd consider an absolute steal if they fell to the number 11th spot for the Lakers? If you haven't already mentioned them. Probably Garland is the guy. Um, Okay. There's an outside chance he'd be there. And if he is, that would be fantastic. That sounds awesome. I'm getting super excited, <laughs> but hopefully, yeah, we'll, we'll see. We'll see how things net out after the draft combine. But um, I guess my last question to you would be, or sorry, my second to last question is, given the context of this draft and, and the Lakers context and maybe them wanting to save a little bit more money and cap space for this summer, is this the type of draft that is good for the Lakers potentially trading down for another player in the maybe like 17 to 19 range, a player that takes on less salary, but could probably offer the same impact in that range. Or if you were the GM of the Lakers, would you just stay at that, you know, number 11 spot and just take the best prospect available? Or do you think that there are enough prospects from 10 to 19 that you could see a trade down happening and still working out for a team? The trade down could work depending on the specifics of it. Um, I would be inclined against it just because, I mean, introducing more uncertainty into the process uh, when you already have LeBron on the roster, I'd probably just pick the guy that you want and make sure that you get him. But um, there's a possibility Clark could fall to the mid to late teens. Uh, Grant Williams could be there Mm -hmm. at that range. Um, It could work out. Um, It's just a risk. So Sure. Depending on if you want to make that gamble, that's the question. Um, There probably will be players available on a trade down that would be good at least. You just might not get that one guy that you really want. That makes sense. If you were the GM of the Lakers, what would you do with this pick to help LeBron out? Knowing what you know, and especially being a Cavs fan and watching LeBron play for all of these years, in your perfect world, are you the type of guy who's like, okay, I know we're in win now mode, but I would also just like to take advantage of this being the one lottery pick that we might have in the next few years and just taking the best prospect available and still trying to toe that line of winning now, but also maybe finding a diamond in the rough who could help 
even extend LeBron's prime or extend past LeBron's prime on my team. So in, in your perfect world, cap situation and free agency plans, you know, out the window to help LeBron out and to help him contend quicker, would you keep that pick, trade it for an established player? What, what best suits LeBron at this stage of his career? I think trying to get the most dynamic shooter I can and mm-hmm both of those guys both have potential as on-ball creators down the road. So Kobe White and Darius Garland are the two names that I think are a step above the other prospects as far as fit with the Lakers core. Um, So if I could get either one of those guys, that would be perfect to me. They can develop as a secondary guy while LeBron is leading the show over the next few years, but still could take on that primary creator role on their second contract. So balances both goals of the organization Mm -hmm. got it awesome well Ustakio, do you have any last words to say or any other things you want to bring up let's see here one other name to throw out there yeah well a a couple others um nikhil alexander walker is a really solid player just all around swiss army knife type player that he should be available in the 15 to 20 range so possible trade down target or just a plan B if the guys you like aren't there um, worth a look. And um, I don't love him as a prospect, but there are reasons to consider Cam Reddish for the Laker roster. They need shooting more than anything else. And although he hasn't been that efficient this year, his three point volume is ridiculous. He's going to pull, he has a quicker trigger than anybody else and he can get a shot off against just about anybody. So um, if the efficiency comes around, he could potentially be a steal. Um, okay. It just, <laughs> I hate a lot of his game, but as yeah, far as three point shooting upside, I, there's not a lot of players in this class that have similar three point shooting upside. So it's, it, it's worth considering in their situation. It's just, man, I hate his game. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've, I've heard a lot of people express that same sentiment and just saying that like this guy doesn't know how to play basketball yet um i actually thought of of one last question if you're game for it but um yeah is there any player on the lakers current roster out of their young core let's say hart kuzma lonzo brandon ingram that you'd even consider packaging with the number 11th pick to even move up or is this not that type of draft is it pretty much yeah i do it for zion but not for anybody else not named zion Maybe Kuzma, because I'm not that high on him personally. Mm -hmm. Um, Just the lack of passing and the defensive issues, I'm not sold on. He's a really good scorer, but I would prefer a more balanced player uh, next to LeBron. Um, But honestly, I think staying put is probably the right call. So let's say you took number 11 and Kuzma. Who would you trade that for? If you could could get anybody, not named Okay. Yeah, if I could get Garland, I I would think about it anyway. Got I'm it. not sure if I pulled the trigger, but it's it's worth considering. Okay, cool. Well, the good news is Garland may be there anyways, and we might not even have to give up Kuzma. So that's what Lakers fans can hope for. Um, with that said, Usakio, thank you so much for coming on tonight and uh, just uh, giving us your wealth of knowledge and info into this draft. And um, yeah, we just really appreciate it. And we hope to learn more and more as... Uh, we progress into May and we find out our actual 
spot in the draft, whether it stays at 11, bumps down a little bit, or we somehow find ourselves in top four, I think tonight's discussion really helped inform us in any scenario. So thanks again for coming on. And if you want to just plug any of your socials once again, and if you guys have anything coming up as we head into the draft, please go ahead and plug that as well. Thank you very much for having me on. Uh, my Twitter again is at EVR1022. And our uh, website Twitter is at Red Team Scouting. Uh, the website again, redteamscouting.com. And just check for our new content there periodically. We're adding profiles progressively. And we're going to do some refreshes on the site now that the season's over, get that final season data up there. So you can look for that coming in the next few days. Awesome. Thank you. It's the, it's the- Thank you, Ustakio, <laughs> for joining the show. And uh, maybe we'll talk to you again soon once the draft shakes out and uh, maybe even post-draft. So we'll catch okay, you later. Sounds good. Thank you.